Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Conservatives put forward a motion to recognize China's actions against Uyghurs as genocide. Silence only helps those who commit crimes against humanity, never the victims. Today, Canada's Conservatives are calling on the Parliament of Canada to recognize that genocide is currently being carried out by the People's Republic of China. The Liberals introduce a bill that would relax penalties for some drug offenses. We know uh, that uh, right now the system that is in place is not working. We see a massive disproportionate impact, negative impact that mandatory minimum penalties have had especially on Indigenous, Black, and racialized Canadians. And the government evaluates Senate changes to the medical assistance in dying bill as the court's deadline approaches. I'm aware of the deadlines uh, that are upcoming, and as always, I will, uh, I will uh, leave no stone unturned in order to get to uh, the date uh, with the final conclusion. It's Friday, February 19th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief, Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. So let's start with the motion from the Conservatives declaring China's treatment of the Uyghurs as a genocide, something that the Prime Minister has shown reluctance to do. What's behind this motion and where do you think this will go? Uh, Well, it's going to be voted on Monday, uh, so we will know the result of it. I think the Conservatives are smelling a vulnerability. Um, the Prime Minister and the Liberal government has been very slow to act on any files dealing with China, whether it's uh, you know a response to what we saw happening in Hong Kong with the protests, uh, the long-awaited, very, very long-awaited decision on uh, Huawei, possibly banning Huawei from the country's 5G networks, um, and in part, that is because the Liberal government doesn't really know what to do about uh, tr- how to treat China because of the Michael Kovrig, Michael Spavor, um issue. Uh, it hangs over all decisions, it seems, to do with China. And the reluctance, um, in part, governments always are reluctant to declare anything a genocide because of the um, legal obligations that that could um could cause. But in this particular case, I think they're also very concerned about um, not annoying China, not uh, putting the two Michaels in a more difficult situation than they already are. So the Conservatives have rightly um, followed public opinion. Poll after poll uh, has shown that Canadians believe that China is a threat. Uh, The country seems to be souring the population the public seems to be souring on china um and uh that is evident in in public opinion polling so they are they're showing that the prime minister is weak vulnerable and decisive um they're splitting the liberal caucus and they're in line with public opinion so as far as opposition day motions go uh, this is a pretty good one mm-hmm. unfortunately because it's a very serious situation obviously yeah happening yeah, and it's about more than obviously just the politics at play here, uh, even though that's part of the lens that we're looking through. Um, of course. Let's turn to the possible relaxing of drug possession laws. Uh, what are you mm. hearing about that? Yeah, so on Thursday, uh, the Justice Minister announced uh, a bill that basically, it doesn't allow for decriminalization, but in the principles in the bill, announced in the bill, it basically will seek to treat 
simple drug possession as a health issue uh, and a social issue and not as a criminal issue. And this is a big change. Um, and it's a change that has been demanded, I think, in part because of the terrible toll that the opioid crisis is having. Um, and part of this bill also includes getting rid of some, not all, but some mandatory minimum sentences, uh, some of which have been uh, appealed uh, in the courts. Others that the government believes has a disproportionate impact on racialized and indigenous communities. But it's, it is interesting to note that they're not actually scrapping all of them. So this is not like the liberals having an ideological reaction to mandatory minimums, although they have criticized the conservatives for them uh, for years. In this case, they're not making a statement saying that they don't believe mandatory minimums work, that they uh, don't you know, have an impact on recidivism, and that we should give you know, judges room to judge. Uh, but it is, a, it, is a, it is a bill that will allow the liberals should we go in an election to say that they are uh, progressive when it comes to justice issues? Right. Which is the kind of issue that could come up in an election campaign. And, uh, of course, uh, some people feel that the the 2015 election, that one of the issues was the, the proposed uh, um, not only decriminalizing but legalizing of marijuana and cannabis in this country. Um, so let's talk next about medical assistance in dying. Speaking of uh, big changes, the Senate has made some changes to the proposed legislation that would allow more people to access medical assistance in dying. And yesterday, Justice Minister David Lametti said the government's still thinking about this. The revisions were made on Wednesday, and MPs have just over a week now to meet a deadline that was mandated by the courts to pass something in the House. Uh, there have been three court extensions already. Mm-hmm. Um, so where do things stand and where do you think this is going? Yeah, so the, the deadline that the government is working towards is February 26. That is, as you said, the third uh, extension that the government has requested. The Liberal bill uh, expands on a Quebec Superior Court decision that basically said that it is that the bill that the law discriminates against people who do not have a foreseeable death. So the Liberals bill expands the medically assisted dying to people whose death is not imminent. And what the senator has said, and it's it's very interesting, this bill passed 66 in favor and 19 against three abstentions, I think, um, overwhelming majority of senators believe that the liberal bill should be further expanded. They want people, for example, there were two um, substantive amendments, one of which was allowing people to um, to say that they're to write down their wishes ahead of possibly you know, losing the capacity to be able to say that they want medically assisted dying. Um, it's unclear whether the liberals are going to go there. If we look at 2016, um, obviously a very different justice minister, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, and health minister, Jane Philpott, who, who took a much more conservative approach. Um, but that m- may have been where the liberals were at the time, too. Um, in this case, Justice uh, sorry, Minister Lametti, actually, who actually, who the justice minister, who actually voted against the, that bill in 2016, um, will he do what the, lib- what the Liberals did in 2016? Will he say basically, thanks to the Senate, but, you know, we're just going to accept your minor amendments? Or is he going to say, 
yeah, these substantive amendments, I think that we're there. I, I don't think the Liberal government is going to do that. They may wait until the uh, legislative review of this bill, which is only in a, a few years, mm-hmm. um, which is something the Conservatives are suggesting. The Conservative caucus is split. The NDP and the Bloc um, have said that they think that the amendments coming from the Senate are worth looking at. But both of those parties believe that the Senate lacks legitimacy. So I'm not sure which way they're going to go. And it is a minority government, so Liberals do need a dance partner. Yeah. Great points. All right. Finally, let's talk about the Official Languages Act, because there may be some news on the horizon about that today. Yes. So, um, Melanie Jolie, the minister responsible for official languages, is uh, about to introduce a sweeping changes to the Official Languages Act. Now, this is not something that in, uh, you know, outside of Quebec gets usually much print, but we are told that this is going to be quite a substantial bill. Um, it basically... The Official Languages Act needed to be brought up to date. But one of the things that has caused significant shift in thinking uh, by the government is that the Quebec government has been basically threatening to impose Bill 101. So this is the the bill that uh, forces companies to work in French on federally uh, incorporated businesses. So uh, banks, for example, telecommunication firms, transportation sector. Um, and in this case, what Melanie Jodi is trying to do is um, kind of thwart the Quebec government's uh, efforts to impose a provincial law by saying that the federal law is going to be is basically going to do the same thing. So what uh, the informations are is she's going to suggest that um, large companies, so whether you're in Quebec or you're in uh, northern Ontario or in New Brunswick or in Saskatchewan or Edmonton, If you have 50 or more employees, you have French-only employees, you will have to, and they want to receive communications in French, you will have as a company to, you know, send your corporate uh, communications to those employees in French, and that those employees should not be discriminated against uh, due to their uh, preferred language of work. Um, So that's very interesting. Another part of this bill, uh, which could be seen as a wedge issue, but also perhaps uh, the significance that the next election is going to be, um, you know, a significant front is going to be in Quebec, is the Liberals are going to um, put teeth behind uh, a policy that seems to have um, been kind of a a working policy, but in this case it will be through legislation, will mandate that all new Supreme Court justices are fully bilingual French and English. Mm. Um, This is something that the Prime Minister has repeatedly said uh, in the House of Commons in attacking the Conservatives who, uh, you know, sought uh, to have the Liberals follow the Quebec government's uh, Bill 101, that, you know, well, you know, you're not willing to do this, um, and here we go, the Liberals are going to promise something that um, the Quebec Conservative Caucus will have to decide uh, whether or not they support. All right, very interesting. Lots of uh, developments on the horizon. Lots of stuff to this and week, yeah. We didn't even talk about vaccines for once, so there you yeah. go. Lots of other things to talk about this time, and yeah. of course the vaccine story continues. Althea, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. You too, Mark. That's Althea Raj, HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief. What we're doing is we are creating an incentive scheme and, and mandating that people have to now register uh, these, uh, these weapons. They will be uh, subject to, to strict uh, regulation. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, 
Jesse Klein argues the liberal gun control plan could be a boon for black market arms dealers. Klein writes, If you wanted a wood-burning fireplace but thought City Hall might ban them in the near future, as Montreal did in 2015, would you file a building permit and make sure all the paperwork was in order? Not likely. You'd probably find a contractor who you could pay under the table. It would be disingenuous to suggest that those who are looking to acquire a firearm in the future would not make a similar calculation. Bill C-21 will only serve to provide an additional incentive for those who think the legal system is more trouble than it's worth. In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason argues there is little sympathy for the plight of Canada's snowbirds. Mason writes, They defied public health recommendations to avoid non-essential travel. They were warned tighter border restrictions were all but a certainty. To say that some of these complainers are in for a frosty reception upon their return would be an understatement. Even as the government continues to plead with people to stay put and avoid travel, hundreds of Canadians have hopped on airplanes, bound for a vacation destination. That is their decision, of course. But when they return, they'd better not bemoan the cost of their quarantine. In the Toronto Star... Hassan Youssef, Doug Roth, and Linda Silas argue a silent health crisis is looming as more people struggle to pay for their prescription drugs. They write, Even before the pandemic, the statistics were staggering. As with much of our lives during COVID-19, things have only gotten worse. There have been significant job losses, which means many workers have lost their benefits. Canadians are twice as likely to have lost prescription drug coverage as to have gained it over the past year. These outcomes are disproportionately impacting racialized households, women, and workers with lower incomes. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The House of Commons Defence Committee will explore some of the issues surrounding allegations against the former Chief of the Defence Staff today. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more on what to expect. Mark, today from 1pm to 2pm Eastern Time, Defence Minister Hartit Sajjan will appear before the committee. The committee will hold at least three sittings to look into allegations that General Jonathan Vance, now retired, had an inappropriate relationship with a female subordinate while he was Chief of Staff, and that he sent an inappropriate email to a second woman of junior rank in 2012 before he took over the military's top job. The military's National Investigation Service is currently looking into these allegations. One issue is obviously trying to get to the bottom of exactly what took place. The other issue is finding out how much was known at the time of the alleged improprieties, how much was investigated, and if any action should have been taken. Today, committee members no doubt will look into reports that the alleged inappropriate behaviour was brought to the attention of Minister Sajjan, The Chief of Defence Staff had already reportedly been vetted by the Harper government when he was first appointed. So Mark, this is the beginning of a look into a very ethically and politically sensitive issue and set of allegations. All right, thanks Martin. Coming up today, the Prime Minister will speak with G7 leaders before holding a news conference to speak about the COVID-19 situation. Later, he'll be joined by Public Services Minister Anita Anand to meet virtually with Canadian CEOs, to discuss the approach to beating COVID-19. Government officials will hold a media technical briefing and ministers will take part in a news conference on COVID-19. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will speak at an event hosted by the Chamber of Commerce for Saguenay-Lefjord. And Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will make an announcement about the food policy for Canada during an address at the Virtual Food Systems Summit Dialogue. 
And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, February the 19th. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.